think of great art, what does that thought conjure for you? One of Van Gogh's intense sunflowers, Leonardo da Vinci's enigmatic Mona Lisa, or perhaps a Monet painting of lilies or a pool clee full of tumbling colours. These immediate thoughts tell us a great deal about our own societies. Societies that have come to place things that are seen, painting and sculpture, over many other art forms, certainly over things that are felt or touched. It also tells us that we have usually seen great artists as lone men, usually white, working out of their own often tortured genius. But supposing we stand this idea on its head and ask if art can emerge in a different way. Instead of being the creation of an individual, can it come out of a community? And can the expression of that art be the product of ideas and innovations that are explored together and transmitted freely from generation to generation? Let's add to this idea that this community might be as far from privileged as possible. The artists here are extremely poor women of colour who struggle. Sounds unlikely, but it's true. For around a hundred years or more, in a small isolated township on a deep curve of the Alabama River in the southern United States called Gee's Bend, the artistry and skills of a community of women working with textiles has grown and strengthened. It took time for the formal art world to be able to see them and recognise them as trailblazing artists who prefigured much of the modern art movement, even though they never had a formal arts education. But that says more about the art establishment than it does about the women of G's Bend. And once the critics were able to see them, they were largely thrilled and excited. I remember seeing these quilts for the first time and they really knocked me in the eye. They're fresh and utterly original. And each one tells its own story as well as that of the wider community in which they're made. When he first saw them, Michael Kimmelman, an art critic of the New York Times, called the quilts some of the most miraculous works of modern art America has produced. Adding, imagine Matisse and Klee, if you think I'm wildly exaggerating, see the show, arising not from rarefied Europe, but from the caramel soil of the rural South, in the form of women, descendants of slaves when G's Bend was a plantation. Welcome to the second series of Haptic and Hughes Tales of Textiles. I'm Jo Andrews. I'm a hand weaver interested in how cloth speaks to us and the impact it has on our lives. Each of the episodes in this series takes an emotion and unravels how we express that feeling in textiles. This time we look at one of humanity's universal needs, a feeling of comfort. And to do this, this story looks at the quilt makers of G's Bend, 
who have produced work that has challenged our ideas about art and changed our perceptions of what it is. This podcast tries to answer the question of how the women of G's Bend have done this in the process of creating comfort for their families. Well, it was cold down here. We didn't have a whole lot. We, I mean, you know, in the way of keeping your children warm and stuff like that, we, we didn't have a whole lot. So we, we took what we had and we made what we needed. If you needed a, a quilt on the bed, that's what you made. If you needed uh, a quilt to hang to the windows, because those old houses were really raggedy, some of them, right? No insulations in the walls, and some of them were in such bad shape, you can actually look through the floor onto the ground. But yet and still, you don't want your children to be cold, you know? So you made them, you made enough for the hang on the wall, the spread on the floor, the spread on the wall, the hangover one, plus the bed. That's Mary Margaret Petway. And when she says we didn't have a whole lot, she means that in a way which would be hard for many of us to grasp. There are some good photographs of G's Ben taken in the 1930s, some of which I've posted in the show notes for this episode. At that time, people were living without running water or electricity in incredibly ramshackle log cabins. They used newsprint to line the walls. Things did change somewhat, but it's never been easy. I mean, it's what we're used to. We grew up poor, okay? A lot of people had gardens, a lot of people had hogs, a lot of people had cows. And if you had all three, you were batting a thousand, you were rich. <laughs> okay, so it used to be if somebody killed a hog or a cow, everybody around the community would get some meat. You know, a little little thing of grease to cook with. Um, you know, if somebody had a garden and you didn't have one or something was growing in their garden that you didn't have, you can go to their garden or go to them and ask them for it and they would give it to you. The families of G's Bend were subsistence farmers with their own animals and gardens. Some pay from picking cotton, something that the whole community was involved in from early childhood. Here's Loretta Bennett, who's Mary Margaret's cousin. And, you know, you had to be in the field, you know, to pick the cotton and, and that going to be like from sun up to not, you know, almost sundown time to get it all out of the field before it you know the raining season come actually even five years old and six years old they didn't they didn't necessarily pick the cotton but they were um there they you know they may have to bring water to the ones that was out in the field uh doing the picking and so they would have to carry the water out and give you a drink of water um so it's kind of everyone got a um, kind of had a share in it. Even babies, uh, moms had to bring their babies. You know, the babies may get pulled on the sack of the, you know, where you put the cotton inside uh, as they was picking it. And if you wanted curtains for your home, covers for your bed, insulation on the walls, you had to make quilts. It's out of this necessity that the artistry and skill 
of the women of G's Bend originates. Mary Margaret says they used anything and everything for quilts. They would use speed sacks and uh, take time and rip them. And, and actually, if you rip it just right, you can save the thread. So you can do what they call used to call whooping in a quilt with it. And um, they use feed sacks, old pieces of sheet, old pants, old dresses, old shirts, you know, just whatever they can get their hands on. And here's one element in the originality of the G's Bend quilts, the ability to make use of anything that comes to hand. The pop art movement developed in the 1950s and 60s in the UK and the US with its rejection of museum art and its embrace of the ordinary and the commercial. But the women of G's Bend had got there long before that because they had to. Both Mary Margaret and Loretta are accomplished artists. Their quilts hang on the walls of museums and galleries round the world. They have no formal art education, but G's Bend was in its own way a tough school. Both of them describe themselves as growing up under the quilt. Here's Mary Margaret. In the 60s, we grew up up under the quilt, which means if your mother had a quilt up, that's where you were, up under that quilt, so you can thread them needles and stick them back up through the quilt or hand them to them. Yeah, but we took naps under it too. <laughs> we, um, some of the old quilts, they, they spread an old quilt after they had the quilt set up. They'd spread a really old, raggedy quilt up under there for the children to sit on and play with and, and uh, practice their ABCs and stuff on. And, um, yeah, so it literally means growing up. Well, you didn't grow up up under it, but, you know, being under the quilt when they were quilting it. And this was very much a family activity. Women did not quilt alone. They learnt from each other and passed ideas amongst themselves as Loretta explains. That's what you call a quilting bee. It might be like my mom, her mother, and some of my mom's uh, grandmother, auntie, something like that. And what they would do, they would go to different houses and uh, quilt the quilts up. You know, it just was maybe about, maybe four to five women in a group. Well, I can, um, that I know, uh, go back uh, to my great-great-grandmother, um, which her name was Dinah or Miller. And um, so we can go back to that, you know, distant. There's a black and white picture taken in about 1900 of a woman who is undoubtedly related to Mary Margaret and Loretta. She's tending some quilts that are airing over a fence. The quilts in front of her are startling in their originality. In G's Bend, these were almost impromptu exhibitions. Everyone got a good look at your quilts as you add them and critically appraised them, gathering scraps of new ideas for themselves. This is one of the ways in which their artistry was valued and honed. And once girls emerged from the play den under the quilt, they found themselves too set to work. So I was about six years old, you know, just threading needles. 
And sometimes, uh, like in the summer month when my mom and grandmother was piecing quilts, uh, they have some little pieces that they may not want to use. And they, you know, they would let us practice on them. When I got about 12 or 13 years old one summer, I decided I was going to make this, this quilt. For some reason, I don't know why, but my mom had a lot of uh, octagon-shaped pieces already cut out. The quilt is called a flower garden. And I decided that I was going to make this quilt. And I made it. Um, it took me all summer long. Someone on it every day, just about all day, you know, except for when I had to go do some chores around the house. And it came out all crooked. My mom kind of straightened it up and she, she, um, you know, quilted it later. It made me feel really good. It was like I had something to do that summer. For Mary Margaret, it was a harder road. Quilting was like a punishment for me, I think. <laughs> Uh, and I say that because I was made to learn to quilt. Um, you know, when you're a child, you want to go out and play with everybody else. But my mother wasn't having that. She, um, I don't care who's in the yard or came to play. If she wanted you to do your quilting, that's what you did. Both Mary Margaret and Loretta make original and lyrical work. But Loretta is clear that the traditions in which they quilt are drawn from their ancestors. Just looking at my mom's quilts and the other ladies' quilts, and just looking at the way that they use, you know, use what they had, and also looking at the clothes in their self, because I like to use, most of my quilts are used from clothing and so repurposed clothing in. and so I like to use that and as sometimes I just let it make themselves uh, and with a little music. So we have lots of elements that go to make up the skill and expertise shown in G's Bend but there's still an extra magic there, a flame, a creativity, something special in their understanding of design and colour that has allowed generations of women to produce astonishing work. Mary Margaret and Loretta have slightly different explanations for this. Here's Loretta. I think we, maybe because we was isolated in this little bend of the river, you know, one way in, one way out. Uh, so we were not exposed to any type of like artwork or a lot of uh, television or anything like that. We had television, but you only got so many channels and not that we knew we were making anything extraordinary. We wanted something, I guess you would say pretty, that we wanted to have on our beds or even hanging out on the wire to dry. It was our way of expressing our you know, our own individual <laughs> creativity, I guess. For Mary Margaret, it's more of a puzzle. You know, I wish I could answer that question. I don't know. I mean, I look at some of the quilts and even some of the ones my mother did and answering truthfully, I wonder what was going on in her mind, but I think they had an eye for 
what would be popular. A lot of quilts down here, they have that little piece of red in it or an odd color, you know, that's not like the other ones, even with denim. You know, you got dark denim, you got light denim, and denim shows um, the wear pattern in it and the wash pattern in it. But you've got that odd piece where it might be, everything else might be old, old, really old, washed and softened denim. And then you might have a new piece or something that looks like a new piece where they may have taken a pocket off and that piece is beautiful up under there. It's like new denim. Raina Lampkins Fielder is the curator of the Souls Grown Deep Foundation. It's dedicated to documenting, preserving and promoting the contributions of the African-American artists of the American South and the cultural traditions from which they grew. The words souls grown deep come from a wonderful poem written by Langston Hughes. Rayner believes that part of the explanation for the talent of G's Bend comes right out of the hardship and experience of discrimination. If you're going to do something, you do it for yourself. And so it, that kind of spirit, and I think that's just part of the African-American experience uh, in general, allowed for the quilt makers in G's Bend to really go their own way, as they say, to do my way quilts, where it's like, okay, we might start on one, on one route, but let's see where it takes me. Let's see what I can create within these borders that um, is transformative and, and bigger than the borders themselves. You didn't have to play by a certain sort of rule because the rules were not, the rules were only there, the larger kind of societal rules to hold you back. So where can you find your own sort of freedom and articulation of yourself um, within something that is about um, muting what you have to say? And so, you know, if you're a little bit more isolated, well, you can do what you want. And I think that is one of the things that kind of leads to that G's Ben style, that almost indefinable G's Ben style that is so captivating to the rest of us looking in on what is produced in that area, because it's like almost this tug and pull between a restriction of the border, but then all of the magistry, magistry and improvisation and, and intention and story and, and biography and art that can occur within those, those borders. We see that there's something there's something different about it. We feel it. We sense it. That's what one of the things that's so remarkable about these works. It took time for an understanding of what was happening in G's Bend to seep into the outside world. Rayner says it was a slow burn over many decades for the quilters to be appreciated. Well, it's interesting because I think that there have been many sort of sudden moments when people refocus their lens and uh, maybe expand where they're looking to see some of the amazing work that's being made uh, in the United States and in the South. Um, I would say probably the, the time that is often noted as being that moment when people really saw what was going on in the community was in 1937, where photographer Arthur Rothstein was basically taking survey photos of tenant farmers in Boykin, Alabama, and G's Bend is 
within Boykin, Alabama. And from that, we saw women quilting in their homes. And we also saw some of the quilts that were being aired outside. So it became this, you know, a kind of unexpected exhibition of the work that was being created in these domestic spaces, then being outside uh, hanging on lines to be aired naturally. And then after that, nearly 30 years later, some of the artists of G's Bend became involved in the civil rights movement and set up a freedom quilting bee. In 1965, again in G's Bend, Alabama, this was another moment when people began to see and hear about what the quilt makers were doing then. And also, just to give a little bit of context, the quilts really have a history, um, particularly at that time, that was deeply rooted in the civil rights movement in Alabama. And so the Freedom Quilting Bee, uh, the Freedom Quilt Quilting Bee Cooperative uh, was established in 1965. And, and this was established by two quilt makers. Um, and this was a way of sort of transforming uh, the economy of the area. They understood uh, what that the quilts that they were producing and also their sewing skills um, could be used outside of the bend. Their involvement in the civil rights movement and its impact on their lives was profound in many ways. It's also extraordinary that even their political involvement was expressed through textiles. Here's Raina. For African Americans, you know, there's never been a revelation of um, of injustice that has been a sort of constant state. I think it was though in the '60s when one could uh, become more politically active, um, when it was uh, a little bit easier to do so. Uh, still a challenge, still a challenge now, but certainly still a challenge in the South at that time. I think with that combination of demanding larger civic rights, voter rights, uh, equal pay opportunity, that one then looks at what one has um, that can be used for political gains, that can be used for just opening up a community and making it, uh, diversifying what is possible for a community. I think that was the, that point where the Freedom Quilting Bee was able to use what they had to, to, for a greater good, whether that greater good is trying to find some sort of economic um, equality or to at least improve economic sit, uh, situations, to also promote one's voice um, and to show that there is something quite unique in this area, even the spirit of the community that was taking that was taking on their role within the civil rights movement as well. But the explosion of public interest in their work had to wait until the early 2000s. By this time, a collector and supporter of African-American art, William Arnett, had arrived in G's Bend and started paying better prices for the quilts. And then finally, in 2002, the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston, Texas, and the Whitney Museum in New York showed the first exhibitions of work from G's Bend. And the critics raved, but at first it was a puzzling experience for the artists 
as Loretta explains. When I saw him in Houston for the very first time, you know, hanging in a museum, it was just, it was just so mind blowing, you know, the clips that we thought were so ugly and, and, you know, just was used for necessity, you know, just to be laying down on or just to be uh, covering a window or floor to keep the air out. And now you see, See those very same quilts that you laid on hanging in a museum. That is so, oh, it is so, so powerful. It And it just bring, it brought tears to our eyes. And then other museums followed suit. Even the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York held an exhibition. And the women of G's Bend went to see it. At first, we all was like, I don't know what they see. And um, but at, as each museum went on and on, you know, we went to different museums. Uh, some of us still didn't see what they saw, but it began to dawn on me that these quilts are very beautiful. These quilts are our art, you know, even though we didn't, <laughs> you know, we had no idea what art was because, you know, we were so isolated. Uh, but uh, uh, some of us younger ones got it. Some of the older one that has passed on, they still did not, you know, they, did, they didn't comprehend how beautiful the quilt was. The first time Mary Margaret ever went to a museum was to see the G's Bend quilts at the Met in New York. She found it an overwhelming experience. I myself was so excited because all those old quilts, the ones that were under the mattresses and uh, packed back, you know, on a shelf in somebody's room, they looked beautiful, hanging up on those sterling white walls. Those quilts looked like they were just the most prettiest things in the world. And the one at, my mother has one at the Met, and I saw it, I said, mm. And I forgot I was in company, you know what I mean? So I said, mm, I used to sleep under that old thing now, you know what I'm saying? I didn't intend to say it aloud, but it, it came out and everybody was looking at me like I'm going crazy. To me, the quilts have the elegance and emotional power of blues music, which also originates in the African-American experience in the Deep South and draws its traditions from work songs and spirituals. And just as the blues have brought us something new and profound, so too has the work of the artists of G's Bend. If life is really challenging, for anyone, regardless of where your position ultimately is. You know, so that's just kind of part of how the system is just not so great and, <laughs> and upholds and empowers one group to the detriment of another. Um, but that doesn't mean that that is what entirely defines that person or that area or that group. That's just a part of the context but what's being created, where their voices really reside, is what they are sharing with us in the works that they create. 
in the choices that they make, in the stories about themselves or labor or their family that are articulated in these works that are incredibly thoughtful. Both Mary Margaret and Loretta still live in G's Bend, but despite the acclaim they've received, they fight shy of being called artists. And that's partly a reflection of how hard it has been for women, and in particular women of colour, to claim this space and this title when it has shut them out so comprehensively. Loretta says it takes a bit to get your head round it. <laughs> yes, it is weird. Um, <laughs> Because uh, I don't see myself as being an artist. I, I, I still see myself as making, being a quilt maker. The quilts and the quilters themselves have brought G's Bend acclaim. And as Mary Margaret says, a level of financial security. It gives us options, I would say. Uh, and saying that, if you are lucky enough to sell a quilt, then you don't have to decide, well, I can just pay this, this money on my bills, you know, because pretty much everybody's in debt. You know, some of those debts you can actually pay off. Uh, you can get your house fixed. You can get a car or do a down payment on a car or truck, you know, so, and all of that gives you, it, it's meaning freedom, basically. At the Souls Grown Deep Foundation, Raina Lampkins Fielder believes the quilters of G's Bend have broadened our perception of art. And Raina has her own explanation of why the artist quilt makers are unique. Quilt making and, and the reuse of materials in various ways, one finds this in many communities. Um, but in G's Bend, it became part of the the way of looking and being, of interacting, of communicating with each other. Because it's been such a long-standing, there's been such a long-standing tradition of the transmission of quilting techniques uh, for over a hundred years, that's something that is unique to that place. Um, sometimes you don't know exactly what's in the water in places. But in East Bend, it's very difficult for me to think of another artistic community or creative community that continues to this day to make work of this quality and with an intention of doing something perhaps a little bit different. Mary Margaret and Loretta are both active quilt makers, extending and growing their experience and incorporating new ideas. But beyond that, they both say that the quilting brings them something special. Here's Mary Margaret. I am at uh, what they call perfect peace. If I've got background noise like a TV or a radio and I'm warm, Sometimes my children will actually feed me. <laughs> and I'm at perfect peace. I can do it all day just sitting there. And it's, that is a quality of life that is so very hard to find now. And for Loretta, it's a way of centering her in her own community and family. You know, I kind of go back 
to the time when my great-great-grandparents, when they was making quilts, I don't know how you would say it, uh, I kind of feel like they are with me when I'm when I'm doing, you know, my sewing, my, you know, making my quilts and stuff. I can, I can feel like they are there with me. This episode of Haptic and Hugh was narrated and edited by me, Joe Andrews. If you go to my website at www.hapticandhugh.com forward slash listen, you'll find a full script of this podcast, pictures and links to the Souls Grown Deep Foundation and the Etsy site where the G's Bend quilters are selling their art. You can also sign up there to get these podcasts directly in your inbox and have a chance to win some of the textile-related gifts I give away with each episode. Thanks go to Mary Margaret Petway and Loretta Bennett for giving me so much of their time and insight, and to Raina Lampkins Fielder for her clear-eyed understanding and appreciation of the artistry and context of the G's Bend quilts. Thanks for listening, and I'll leave you this time with the last verse of the poem by Langston Hughes, from which the name of the Souls Grown Deep Foundation is drawn. Hughes was a major figure in the Harlem Renaissance of the 1920s, in which many black intellectuals and artists flourish. It's read here by Bill Taylor. I've known rivers. I've known rivers ancient as the world and older than the flow of human blood in human veins. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. I bathed in the Euphrates when dawns were young. I built my hut near the Congo and it lulled me to sleep. I looked upon the Nile and raised the pyramids above it. I heard the singing of the Mississippi when Abe Lincoln went down to New Orleans, and I've seen its muzzy bosom turn all golden in the sunset. I've known rivers, ancient, dusky rivers. My soul has grown deep like the rivers.